Well, today I want to focus on the subject of prayer. And so in Acts chapter 12, we find a church that is a praying church. And I've just entitled this message, And the Church Prayed. And as we begin this journey of seeking a new pastor for this church body, there will be much to do. Calling a pastor is not an event. Calling a pastor is a process. It takes time. Calling a pastor is preceded by the church getting ready, the church determining who they are, what God wants them to be, because he will prepare a pastor who will have the discernment to lead the church body, and then he will bring the two together like a match, uh, like a marriage made in heaven, and the church will be strong before and after the pastor comes. So it's a process. It's a drawn-out process sometimes. And we don't mean to make it that way, but it needs to be that way so that we don't make hasty decisions. And it begins with a church-wide season of prayer, I believe. And so I'll tell you more about that next week, about how we can do that. And uh, we'll get together with our deacons. Me and the deacons will get together and talk and visit about that. But we want to involve the entire church body in a 30-day, at least a 30-day season of prayer, daily prayer for yourselves, for the church as a whole, and just so God will prepare our hearts to be ready for the things that lie ahead. Look with me in Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some, of, some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That's a wonderful verse, verse 5, I tell you. Constant prayer was being offered on Peter's behalf by his brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Christians are really under persecution, even in America today. It's a growing sense. I think you've, you've seen it growing the last several years. It used to be the subject of international news, didn't it? Persecution of Christians, some faraway land, some faraway tribe, persecuting a missionary or something of that sort. But today we see it happening even in our country. It's national news and in some places local news. How Christians are being mocked and ridiculed for their faith. They're being mistreated in some places, even beaten and killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in certain parts of the country. And so the question that arises in my mind is, what's the church to do? How are we to respond whenever we're faced with opposition, with such evil seemingly prevailing sometimes? What are we to do as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to see here that this church did something, and I'm going to keep my notes simple. Let me just give them to you right now since we're not going to have them on the screen. The church prayed, the Lord answered, and the church was amazed. (laughs) The church prayed, the Lord answered, the people were amazed. I almost like to put the word how in front of that. Oh, how the people prayed. And oh, how how God answered. And oh, how they were amazed at what God had done. Let's see if we can cover these three in the minutes that uh, we have left with us this morning, and we'll add some time to that, I'm sure. First of all, we need to know that Herod Agrippa was such an evil king that was reigning throughout Judea. And he had just taken James, the Bible said, 
sometime before and had killed James. And now he's got Peter and he intends to kill Peter, but because it's Passover and all the Jews are together, um, he is going to wait really till the climax of Passover, till right after Passover, and then have Peter killed. And the Jews are in favor of all this. They are thrilled that he is taking Peter. They want the church stopped. They want faith in Christ to cease. They want all these conversions of the Jewish population who have turned to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah. And they want it stopped and they want it put to an end. How do you do that? You go to their main leader. And that main leader right now is Peter. Peter stood on the day of Pentecost. And remember, he preached a message of, of, of repentance and baptism and, and told them to turn to Jesus. He explained, he took them through their Jewish history and he explained to them how Jesus had fulfilled the prophecy of Scripture, how he was truly the Messiah. And so 3,000 turned to Jesus in one day and were baptized and joined that church. Later on we read that it was multiplied, it grew to 5,000, then another 5,000 or so. The church began to multiply greatly, didn't it? Because of these early believers. The Bible tells us that miraculous signs and wonders were done at the hands of Peter and the other apostles. So this was becoming a tumultuous situation for the Jewish leaders. So now they have Peter, the Jews that are the diehard Jews that are refusing Christ and rejecting Him, they are excited about it. He doesn't want anything to happen. I wonder if he knew the story of how Jesus had risen from the dead, perhaps. They, that he knew that he had escaped, they thought. Somebody stole his body. No, he rose from the grave. But he put four squads of soldiers to guard Peter. Now, a typical squad were four soldiers. It was four soldiers in each squad, four squads, that's 16 soldiers, right? And so let's go through this a minute, but I want you to see a couple of things. I want you to see that the Bible says constant prayer was being offered to God for Peter by the church. And that word constant, depending on which translation you use, it might mean fervent prayer. It might say earnestly. They prayed earnestly for his release, for God to do something in that situation. But they prayed constantly, and earnestly, if you're praying earnestly, you're praying constantly. So pick your word there, it doesn't matter to me. They were praying. They were a praying body of believers who were concerned for Peter that what happened to James might also happen to him. And because he's being held in prison, at least they had some time to go before the Lord. Did you know that prayer is the church's most powerful resource? Prayer is the church's most powerful resource. No, Brother Christman, it's money. It's being able to give to missions. No, it's not. It is prayer. There's not a missionary out in the field that would like your money before they would like your prayer, your covering in prayer. They need the power of God on their lives. Prayer is our most powerful resource. When evil comes, the church should pray. Whenever God's people have a need, the church should pray. Whenever you have a need, you should pray. When evil comes upon your household, upon your children, you should pray. You know, we do a lot of getting mad at the devil. Well, if you're really mad at the devil, you'll pray. Because you're not going to do anything up against the devil. He's a fallen angel. He's very powerful. He masquerades like an angel of light, the Bible says. Listen, he is conniving. He is, is very stealthy. You're nothing up against him except that you pray to the Lord and the Lord uh, step in on your behalf. 
You belong to Him. You have Him. He's your resource. You go at the devil by going to the Lord Jesus in prayer. Amen? Well, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 gives us this hope. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked for. What need could you possibly have that God cannot supply? Billy Graham said, Heaven is full of answers for which no one ever bothered to ask. The answer is just waiting in heaven. And here's the cool thing about prayer, guys. The neat thing about prayer is when you're, you're sensing you're prompted to pray in your heart and life, that prompting comes from God above. And it started in heaven, and I'll tell you, it'll be finished in heaven. The God in heaven who prompts you to pray, when you pray, the answer comes from heaven. Every good and perfect gift comes from heaven above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no turning, there's no changing. Whatever we ask, when we ask according to His will, He hears us. That's a great promise. You'll follow along in verse 5 through 11, if you would. And let's see what God did, because God answered their prayer. I want you to notice how miraculous a rescue this really was. The timing of this rescue is magnificent. In verse 6, the first part of that verse, the Bible says, And when Herod was about to bring Peter out, when he was about to bring him out, Peter was asleep. That is, it's during the night, it's during the middle of the night at some time of the same morning in which he was going to be brought out of prison and sometime that day he was going to be killed. I mean, the clock is ticking. You watch those old movies, you know, where they got the, the bomb and the big clock. Tick, 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 tick. And then, you know, it's building. It's going to blow up, you know, and you get, it gets intense. I'm telling you, the clock was ticking for Peter. He had reached the day in which he was going to lose his life. And this event's taking place during the night at some point in time. Notice his condition. He is bound with two chains between two of the soldiers. We know at least 16 soldiers were assigned. So he's chained, the Bible says, to one on his left. He's chained to a soldier on his right. That makes two soldiers. More guards were standing before the door there. So there's perhaps two more. That'd make four guards. Verse 10 says there were two guard posts beyond that point. There would have been guards at each of these posts as well. Perhaps two as you approach the post, two on the other side of it. And another post, two before Two on the other side. The Bible says there was an iron gate, which when it opened, led out into the streets of the city. That's the final gate. That's the biggie. That's the big iron gate. That's the hefty one. That's the one you can get through anything, but until you get through that one, you're going nowhere. Let's say there are two there on the inside and two on the outside. There's 16 guards. There's many steps that he has to get through. Peter's not going anywhere. Except for the working of God, Peter does not get a get-out-of-jail-free card. This isn't Monopoly. But God sends an angel. The Bible says angels are messengers from God sent to minister to the saints. And I know some people don't believe in angels. I don't see how. But if you want to keep believing that way, that's all right. That's a negative way to live when God says He sends angels to watch over us. That's a negative way to live. And when the Bible says he sends ministers, they are ministers to the saints of God. They are messengers to God's people. So I believe that angels still exist today. I believe God appoints angels to do his work. 
to, to do His bidding. The Bible says we might entertain angels without being aware that they're really an angel. You know what that tells you? Be nice. <laughs> Amen? Be nice. You may see them again. Be nice. They're there to help you. This angel escorts Peter out. This is just too easy. He awakens Peter. Peter stands up. His chains fall off from the the soldier on the left, the soldier on the right. The chains fall down. He walks away, leaving these two guards behind. He walks out of his cell past those two guards that would have been there at the, the cell gate. That's four guards. He passes both guard posts. That's two, four, six, eight. So now there's 12. And... Going along, they come to the iron gate. Luke tells us that gate opened of its own accord. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And the cool thing about Luke is early on he says he writes about from what he has heard and received from everyone else. So he says, Peter, tell me the details of how this how this came to be. Between Peter and the Holy Spirit prompting him and illuminating uh, what he's to write here, he just gives us that detail. The gate opened on its own accord. Probably too big to open for one person. It opened on its own accord. Is that not creepy? I mean, Halloween, you watch the scary shows. You know something's behind that gate. You're creepy. Could you imagine creepy? Gate opens by itself. It's only creepy if you're not the one trying to get out. When you're the one trying to get out, it's glorious. Amen? I'm free. I'm getting out. This is the last gate, and it opens. That's 16 guards now that he's passed through. The Bible says the angel escorts Peter down the street, and then the angel disappears. I got thinking about this the other day, and I couldn't remember, and I searched for it. I can't remember the exact person this story is about. I think it was John Wesley, the great Methodist preacher. The story from the 1700s was told that as he was out riding a trail to the next town after dark, he had to keep a schedule. It was dangerous to ride uh, from one town to the other after dark down these trails. There were bandits on the trails. Uh, You've seen the westerns, haven't you? You know, where the stagecoach gets robbed and things like that. Well, it's really true. It was a wild place to be. And at night, you didn't want to be out on the trail especially by yourself, and he had to keep this schedule, and he had to get to the next town, and it was after dark. And as he's riding along at a trot, suddenly he sees up ahead off the side of the trail an image in the darkness. An image recedes back into the bushes. He presumes it's abandoned waiting to get him, but it was too late to stop, so he tried to speed up and go on through, and instantly when he saw that and the fear that came over his over his uh, life, over his body at that moment, instantly he hears a voice and right beside him is a rider on another horse. And I can't remember for sure, so don't quote me on this, but I think the statement made from the rider on the horse was, Hello, friend. But don't quote me on that, but that just stands in my mind. It's been years since I've read the story. But let's just go with it, okay, because it sounds pretty good to me. Hello, friend. And they start a conversation and they're riding along. And soon after, he looks over, the rider is gone. He's gone. And Wesley knew at that moment, that was an angel of the Lord. He came from nowhere. He went to somewhere, who knows where. And he was sent there to ride past that moment when he was going to be attacked by a bandit to protect him. And so he believed with all of his heart 
It was an angel of the Lord to protect him from being ambushed and to take his fear away and to calm him. Psalm 91, verse 9 through 11. Write it down if you're going through times of fear and trouble and turmoil. If you feel like evil is against you, Psalm 91 is your passage this week. Verse 9 through 11 says, Because you've made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High God, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwellings. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. What a wonderful passage. I'm going to tell you what it is again so that you'll write it down. Some of you need it. Psalm 91, verse 9 through 11. You just start with verse 1. Psalm 91. He'll put forth 10,000 angels to flight. Listen, one's pretty powerful, amen? Just one angel's enough. The church had a need. Peter's in prison. The church prayed and God answered the need. And oh, how he answered the need. You know, we don't get to choose when God will answer. We don't get to choose how God is going to answer. We only get to trust that He will answer when we pray. I'm old enough to know now, when God answers, He's never too early. And in my mind, He's never early enough, but He's never too early. He's never too late, but He's always right on time. Amen? That's what we can know about God. So you may be sitting there this morning you say, I've been praying this prayer. I don't think I'm going to get through. God's never too early. There's something for you to gain and to learn in waiting and trusting on Him. But He's never too late. He will be right on time. You keep praying. You keep trusting. Well, then last, the church was so amazed. Look with me beginning verse 12. So when he'd considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. This is Peter walking down the street. Middle of the night, just got out of prison. Herod was going to have his head on a platter. Here he goes. He's walking down the street. He goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark, where many were gathered praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. What a welcome. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that this was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They were astonished. Maybe your translation says they were amazed. Couldn't believe it. It's been said that Peter had an easier time getting out of prison than he did getting into an all-night prayer meeting. He had to just keep knocking. The girl was so surprised to see him, she left him standing there. I was looking at some notes, and I tell you, one pastor wrote about this. He said she had to be blonde, and I told my wife that. You know, she's blonde. That just got me in trouble. So I just, let me just recede and pull that back, all right? So don't be upset. The Greek words used here, that they were amazed or astonished, there are two words, and when you put them together, it literally means to put out of one's place. And it has to do with standing. So you're standing here, you got put out of your place. You're standing over here somewhere, or over there. And so when you take the figurative meaning here, in other words, it means this. They were beside themselves, and that's what is translated here. We would say it like this today. When they realized or recognized what had happened, they were blown away. 
It blew them away. They couldn't believe it. I mean, they, they thought when they saw it, they couldn't believe it. And I know sometimes we do that. Wait, we prayed and God answered and I just can't believe it. <laughs> well, you prayed. Yeah, I know, but God is so great, sometimes I can't take it. That's really what it's about. God answers our prayer, and if we're not careful, we start thinking our prayer really had something to do with it. Boy, I'm telling you, it's me. I'm so spiritual. You know, God answered my prayer. and We don't need to go there. It's the greatness of God. That's what it is. It's the grace of God coming through and His power and might. It blew them away. Seventeen times in the New Testament, we find this same word used to describe how people reacted to what God had done. They were amazed or astonished. Sometimes, and it's the same word in the Greek, sometimes it's translated um, this way, amazed, sometimes astonished. And on several occasions, right after it says that, on several different occasions in the New Testament, it will continue with this phrase, and they marveled. They were astonished at what they saw, and they marveled. They were amazed at all they had seen. And they, say it with me, marveled. Let me ask you something. Have you lost your marvels? I didn't say marbles. We know some of you lost your marbles, right? You can lose your keys. You can lose your marbles. But friend, don't lose your your marvels. Don't lose your marvels. If God never answered another prayer, there's enough in His Word for us to be amazed and to marvel at His greatness. I mean, we just read that although a man plotted Peter's death, God provided for his deliverance. That when a man held Peter captive, God made him a conqueror. When a man sent Peter to prison, God set him free and sent him to a prayer meeting. That's God. So enough has been written for us to trust Him in our time of need. So when life becomes broken or messy in your home, in your personal life, when things get messy, call on the Lord in prayer. When trouble comes, gather with others who will pray with you. Meet with them. Tell them about it. Make God your refuge like Psalm 91 says. He'll watch over you. He'll protect you. When evil comes, like it came upon this early church, we need to pray to the Lord. So let me narrow it down just briefly to this. Concerning the church, we're really in urgent times in the church universal. The church everywhere. We're living in urgent days, urgent times. Specifically, First Baptist Church Garrison needing a new pastor. Other ministries needing leaders put into place. You're needing a pastor called of God who can discern his will for this church, whom God will call. And so the urgent need is not, though, in quickly searching for the pastor. The urgency is in this, recognizing your need to pray. There's the urgency. The early church had nowhere else to turn at their moment of need. Their urgency was in prayer. Their urgency was, Peter's going to die, we must pray. And they prayed all night, they were still praying, even though he had been released. The urgency is the need to begin praying. The same is true concerning your personal needs. There's an urgency when a need arises 
to pray. But we urgently seek other means. We urgently seek an answer from somewhere else. We urgently seek provision from something else. We're quickly, we'll quickly go into debt whenever we have some sort of financial need. We're willing to go in debt, which is going to cost for so much. Why not turn to God? Why not be faithful to God and turn to Him? The urgent need is that of prayer when trouble comes. Never forget that. The church prayed... God answered, and they were amazed. Don't lose your marvels. Don't lose your marvels. Turn to Him, pray to Him, trust Him, and see if He will not answer and do great and mighty things that you do not know. We've not seen, eyes not even seen or heard what God has prepared for this church. You need to pray. So that's why I feel like the first thing that we will do would be to enter a 30-day period of prayer on behalf of the church. And we'll tell you more about that in the next couple of weeks as we find out how we're going to do that and, and the way to do it. But you know what? Nothing keeps you from starting right now. So I want to urge you during this week, whatever your needs are, whatever the needs are of the church, pray. Would it be said of First Baptist Garrison? And the church prayed. And the church prayed. They had a need, and they prayed. Something came upon them. Evil was pressed against them, and they prayed. Someone in the church went through a, a dire circumstance, and the church prayed.